This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into episode number 135 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. It is Halloween uh, here on this Monday when you'll be listening. Uh, Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson, as always. Uh, Nick, it's spooky season, as the kids say. Um, it's, always spook- it's always spooky season. Yeah. Where I well, live. Well, <laughs> that's because you have a mirror. Um, yeah, that's, yeah well, that's exactly what it is. No, no black cats, though, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> You, you did get clawed in the face, apparently. But, I did, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, that notwithstanding, uh, the Huskies got a bit of a scare. Men's hockey uh, this weekend. They did. Uh, so we'll talk about that in the main portion of the show. Women's hockey, uh, we said they had to have both of them. They had both of them. I uh, really said to talk about this team. Uh, the race in the WCHA is getting tighter and tighter by the minute. Uh, as far as Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, we have retirement that's a bit close to home, so to speak, that we'll mm-hmm. talk about. Um, rip through that very quickly. A very abbreviated uh, Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup this week. And then the Extra Ice session. We're going to talk about our first impressions of Mullet Arena. The Coyotes, their first couple of home games in the building. Um, locker room setup notwithstanding for the first couple of games. Uh, yeah. Anyway, with that being said, we will start, as always, with Center Ice News Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, Noah, and this is kind of a weird news thing, right? Because... I've seen Devin Dubnik, as we're going to touch on why we're talking about him shortly, uh, on NHL Network. And I thought that maybe I had missed this earlier, that this was already official, but now it actually is. He's actually Mm -hmm. officially now just retiring from his playing career. Um, And again, had some notable seasons with both uh, Minnesota as well as Edmonton, where he got a start. Uh, Had some bits and pieces with Nashville, Arizona, and Colorado. Uh, but quite the career, 12 NHL seasons, uh, 253 wins, a 914 career save percentage, 33 shutouts. Uh, he spent parts of six seasons with the Minnesota. Of course, the most notable uh, when he was picked up in the trade deadline in 2015. Uh, this is when he won the Masterton Trophy, also finished third in the Vezina, um, also fourth in Hart voting. Um, 
dare I say, Noah, he single-handedly uh, willed that team back in the playoff race. Yeah. Um, it was also a second-team All-Star uh, with a 929 save percentage in that year and a 2.07 goals against average 58 games. Uh, just was a workhorse. Uh, never posted a save percentage below 913 in his next four seasons with the Wild. Um, also ranks now in franchise records, only second behind Nicholas Backstrom with wins at 177 and shutouts with 23 in franchise history. Um, also had a pretty good 917 save percentage with Edmonton. And mind you, uh, this is an Edmonton team pre-Connor McDavid, so they weren't that great. Yeah, they were bad. Yeah. So. Yeah, three years in Edmonton. Don't forget, also uh, also played in San Jose as well, too. Um, had a short, right. mm-hmm. short list. And, of course, he was traded there for – do you know who he was traded for? you remember? Ryan Donato. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Yeah. Um, so – or with Ryan Donato, right? For, with? Four. Yeah. No. It'd be with somebody if they were yeah. both going oh, yeah, to right. San Jose. Yeah, that's right. Um. Anyway, with that being said you're – uh, You're the hockey guy. It's okay. Yeah, well, no, that just, this just doesn't seem. Why do I feel like that's not right though? Because Ryan, you're we got, trading, we got, you're traded for no, somebody. Then. No, we got Ryan Donato from the Bruins. Remember? That's right. So, uh, tra- so it's not. So it's I got to look it up. It's gonna drive me nuts. Evan Dubnik trade. God, who do we trade for? Was it? Was it? Was it or wasn't just picks? picks? I think it was, just, it was a summer thing. I think. I think it, it was, was just like a low it was round like a, pick. It was, like a, it was almost like a dump, wasn't it? Here we go. Uh, for a fifth round pick. <laughs> it was a cap. Yep, it was in just 2022. A dump. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Wild gained $2.166 in cap space, which I'm sure they've utilized that effectively. Um, <laughs> and then still, I got some left over. So, yeah. You know, it's in- it's interesting, though. I mean, I have a Devin Newbank shirt in my closet um, among the skeletons this Halloween, but I. You know, we kind of give him crap on the podcast about, you know, I think maybe his last year and a half in Minnesota was a bit mm-hmm. tough, kind of started to drop off a little bit. But you know what? Like you mentioned, that first season, of course, he got on the plane essentially from Buffalo or got on the plane and was playing in Buffalo the next night, willed that team to a victory and never looked back. I mean, he had some really formidable years in Minnesota where they bolstered by an otherworldly defensive structure that Minnesota ran at the time. Sure. Probably. Um, but he played well on a really crappy Oilers team for three seasons. I mean, he played 12 years in the NHL. He played, uh, you know, half of a thousand games and change, right? So, um, you know, it's a pretty successful career for him, all things considered. Um, Probably one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Great family as well, too. So, I mean, he was a joy to have in Minnesota. I think he just, um, he kind of over-exceeded expectations early, and yep. then in his last year and a half, you know, it was easy to kind of peg him as someone who was really struggling, um, maybe was at, at his form. But really, I mean, he was a guy that you look at his underlying numbers, actually had a pretty serviceable NHL career and largely as a starter for half of it. And let's not forget to Noah, that, you know, the, the last year and a half with Minnesota, there was some, uh, shall we say, out of the ring distractions. I guess that White was sick. Uh, there was a bunch of uh, yeah. things out of his control that I, you hate to say it, but I think just as far as him performing on the ice, I do think it affected him. And it, we both know as as athletes, you know, they're, they're creatures of confidence and momentum. And it just seemed like Devin Dubik, once the train started to go off the rails, he just never seemed to really get it back on the tracks. And it was, it was tough to see, to be honest with you, because again, he brought stability to an organization. Again, this is still... Zach Parisi, this is Ryan. This is year three into that, you know, big investment that this was going to be a team that we're going to put together to go on a deep cup run. And remember, the Wild at that time were struggling hard. Yeah. Um, and so he essentially came in and 
shall we say, I mean, he saved the season, righted the ships, who he gave the yeah. fans of the organization that new breath of fresh air. So I uh, can't forget that part. Yeah, and that was the time where, of course, we were kind of just entering the year, so we didn't know that Zach Parisi had a lingering back injury for about three and a half years. Right. That kind of halted that, too. By the way, speaking of Zach Parisi, random tangent that's not in our notes, he scored uh, last night or two nights ago. Did you see the comeback the Islanders had last night? Uh, yeah. Scoring five unanswered against the defending Stanley Cup champ Colorado Avalanche in that game, and it was all, besides the first goal, everything was within the last 12 minutes of period number three. It reminds me of when the wild came back all those years ago against the Hawks back in 2010, Guillaume Latton dress tied that game up. And then I think it was, was it John, John Madden, Madden? Yeah. in the shootout? I, yeah. I will remember that clue. Cause yeah, Latton dress had just come off the bench and it was a puck loose in the corner. It popped out. He just took a swing at it. Yeah. And it wasn't that crystal ball. Hugh way. That wasn't that I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, as, as Mike Greenley had alluded to he was like i mean he said it himself he came out of absolutely nowhere, nowhere. i mean just mm-hmm. shifted through i don't know if it was huey or um wasn't it uh um anti niemi it wasn't niemi no it was either niemi was on that team in 2010 he was but i believe it was huey that was in that should we re- research it we can we you've got yeah. one more point so go for it and, and let us know yeah what next i'll so, research <laughs> yeah you do that um so another quick signing uh the ottawa senators signing uh mark uh as a Kostelich, uh to a two-year extension 835 yeah 835 uh, 835k per season uh six foot three 210 pounds 23 years of age uh six points in 22 nhl games um so why the extension? Uh, he's pretty good in the faceoff dot. 71 and some change percent in the dot. That's uh, not bad faceoff numbers. Um, a fifth rounder in 2019 to his credit. Um, and also has a little bit of sandpaper to his game. Not afraid to drop the mitts. Not afraid to mix things up. Um, as well as protect teammates. So yeah. uh, sends adding a little bit of depth to the organization where they seem to be getting a little bit of snake bit with some injuries here and there. It's uh, the wild are actually getting some of that too as well. But uh, did you figure out who was in that? I did. It was Cristobal Huey. So you were, ah. you were right about that. Yeah. Okay. You remembered one thing in the three years we've been doing this show. So more I mean, than that, but okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, so goal scores in the shootout were Miko Koivu and it wasn't John Madden. It was Owen Nolan who had the game winner that night. Was it Owen Nolan? Um, yeah. Wow. Well, I'm looking at the recaps. So yes. Um, and I, uh, uh, other goal scorers uh, for Minnesota, Kim Janssen. Oh, Kimmy. Yeah. Uh, Miko Koivu again. Merrick Zidlicki. Zidlitsky. Yeah. yeah. And Guillaume Latondres. Yep. Um, I Marty Havlat also uh, scored That's for. Right. Um, Those two had the had quite the chemistry, Latondres and Havlat. I was actually pegging Latondres after that season. They kind of broke out before he got traded from Montreal that he was going to be yeah. the next 30 goal scorer for the Wild. And didn't happen yeah patrick sharp jonathan taves chris versteeg troy brower marion hosa scoring in regulation patrick kane um scoring the only goal in the shootout um you know it's interesting too uh so nicholas backstrom started in net for the wild game was finished by josh Josh Harding. Harding. Mm -hmm. um who was the coach for minnesota that year this is what 2010 that todd richards it was todd richards yeah okay uh that's all that's that's two for those keeping track just for this episode. I, I mean, I are we counting that? I mean, geez, you were a full-fledged, you were my age during that time. And I had, I covered the Todd Richards uh, press uh, conferences. I was covering the wild pretty extensively at that time. So I was, yeah, uh, that was fresh. 
Uh, yeah. I do remember that game. That was, uh, uh, I still those... remember it all those years later. I mean, we were coming back from a hockey game. It was like on a Saturday night or something. And we were coming back from some game up in Canada. And we were listening to it on the radio. And we kind of had it on the background. And then you started to kind of like pick up on it as the game went along. And then we got home and watched the highlights, which, of course, back in that day, I mean, you had YouTube, but it wasn't instant packaging even on Twitter no. like it is now. So you kind of had no. to wait for the TV highlights and the 11 o'clock news, basically. So it yeah. uh, was pretty impressive. Uh Two more topics here uh, in yep. the early parts of our show. Uh, some quick trades here going on. Ethan Bear, defenseman headed to Vancouver for a fifth rounder back to the Hurricanes. Uh, only 25 years old, has been a healthy scratch every game this season. Uh, 47 mm-hmm. points in 190 NHL games. He has strong underlying numbers offensively as a defenseman. Maybe some defensive lapses, but I'm not surprised the Canucks took a chance on him. Uh, good little defenseman there. Uh, Canucks also got forward Jack Studnika um, and the Bruins on the other side for Boston got goaltender Michael DiPietro. Take a guess whose kid he is. Um, yeah, and uh, I heard he got signed to a long-term contract, this uh, father <laughs> figure. Um, and defenseman Jonathan Myrenberg. Uh, Studnika heading to the to the Canucks. He's 23, um, 53rd overall pick, 38 NHL games um, in the past four seasons. DiPietro has played three NHL games. His father, of course, Played a little bit more until he cashed his money out. And then uh, Myron Berg, uh, 19 years old. He's playing in Sweden right now. He was 140th overall last season in the NHL draft. So can I pause you real quick there, Noah, because this is an interesting move by Vancouver, don't you think? Um, It is. I I think it is. Uh, (laughs) Well, because, well, let's look at the actual talent here, right? Um, Sunika, only 38 games in over four years of his NHL career. Uh, Di Pietro, again, he's young, he's 23. Uh, Myronberg, again, 19. Um, does this signal something to you? Because mind you, Vancouver has been off to actually their worst start in franchise history, uh, record wise, at least for the first six or seven games. They've yeah. sort of turned it up lately. But um, is this sort of a GM? and a Canucks organization that is sort of showing some reflexes here. Uh, and I asked mm-hmm. that because that's, that's a lot of capital going your way this early in the season. I granted this future capital for all intents and purposes. Uh, but many people were tagging the Canucks as, Oh gosh, are they going to have to, you know, type in the codes already? Or what do you think? Is this just, you know, you see some opportunity you're going for, or do you think there's some little bit more uh, underlying notes to this? I mean, I think Ethan Bear and Studnicki are probably guys that are a little more known in what you're going to get out of them. Um, and maybe they're betting on that, just looking for some solidarity. Maybe, if anything, at the AHL level, feeling mm-hmm. like they can add some bodies that they feel would be appropriate call-ups because they know what type of game they play. Ethan Bear might get some playing time this year. I mean, that mm-hmm. defense in Vancouver is very poor. I've never understood. I mean... He's an NHLer for sure, but Tyler Myler, Tyler Myers to me has been an absolute pylon for the last like four years in my mind. He's just he takes really dumb penalties and is always out of position. I think. I mean, he's a big body, um, and he's still a serviceable NHL defenseman. But I've never understood how much trust they put in a guy like him. Um, but I mean, you he's know, never the strongest skater too. And I think that was the biggest yeah. thing is you know his reach and he could. Back in his early days, remember with Buffalo, he was actually quite the, you know, sort of the physical force on their blue line. Yeah. And then as the game has gotten much faster from him, uh, that's when you start reaching, you know, how it goes. And like you said, he's, uh, shall we say, the the game is uh, spinning circles around him, unfortunately. So. Yeah, well, well, let's spin our circle all the way around here. Our last trade forward, Cam Hillis, is headed to Montreal. Defenseman Nick Bowden back to Chicago. I like this little move by Chicago here. 
first Hillis, a 66 overall pick, made his initial debut last season in Montreal. And mm-hmm. then Bowden, he's 23, 27th overall pick back in 2018, has 22 NHL games to his credit. He won gold of the 2021 Worlds for Canada, playing in all 10 games. I think he was dash four, but still, um, I mean, still won. So, mm-hmm. um, um, what would be not winning essentially injury wire here. Mark Borvietsky yep. is still out day to day after getting knocked out last Saturday um, yep. in that game uh, for Nashville, kind of an awkward little play. I don't know if it was the fact that he actually hit the dasher awkwardly, or it looked like he hit his face pretty hard. So um, on yeah. the ice. So I think that was kind of the secondary hit that really kind of um, didn't go so well for him. He was at home and resting, but they haven't really cleared him yet. So you got to wonder if there's some underlying concussion things going on there. Um, Senators, Josh Norris, he's going to be out long-term with a shoulder injury, could need surgery, will likely miss most of the season. He's going to miss at least five months, so not looking good for the Sens there. No. Um, Flyers, Sean Couturier, he undergoes another, another back, back surgery. surgery. Yeah. Jeez, that's <laughs> tough. Yeah, he's going to be out three to four months. And Quinn Hughes for Vancouver week-to-week with a lower body injury. Episode number 135, main portion of the show, Nick Maxson, Griswold, whatever you want to call him. He's joining myself, Noah Grant, whatever you want to call me. Uh, what do you want to call me? You have a name in mind? That's that's uh, appropriate no. for the FCC airways. It, it is definitely not appropriate, so I'll hold that one back. <laughs> well, welcome in. It is Halloween here for those joining us on the YouTube channel. Uh, we've got a fun little graphic. Uh, we've changed up the look for this episode, so go check it out or don't. Whatever. I made it. I'm happy with it, so it's fine. Um, Nick, Nick Maxson is not with me in my not here this week, but he's with me in spirit, at least. Uh, spirit of Halloween. <laughs> Halloween. Any big Halloween plans this year, Nick? Well, if anything, it was today, actually, uh, headed yeah. to uh, the Vikings game, first ever game inside U.S. Bank Stadium. And how funny is this? It's been, gosh, I'm going to really date myself here, 10 years since I've been to a Viking game. So it's back in the old Metrodome. Yeah. Uh, and it was against the Cleveland Browns. And what you know, they lost to the Cleveland Browns <laughs> in that game. And it wasn't even close. It was like 41 to 24. If I remember, like we got smoked. Yeah. And in typical Vikings fashion today, when they had every opportunity to put the game away, they kept Arizona in it. Um, we had in this game a blocked field goal, a missed extra point, a muffed punt. Kirk Cousins ran for a 19-yard touchdown. Yes, you heard that. He ran for more than three yards. <laughs> Someone um, must have came at, at him with a vaccine needle. I Something. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, you, it was a little bit of everything. It was actually quite... Uh, quite the show uh and vikings improved to six and one yeah uh, so that's always uh still I, i'm still not on the train he said that I'm to st- me last week you're like i still don't think they'll make the point no i'm like man dude like- they just they're just and they're a lot this was a the the referee crew was very flag happy today there was some definitely questionable pis on both sides of the ball um a lot of so, investigating, huh? A, a lot of ref ball. He'll put it to you that way. Um, Angel Hernandez would be would be happy with this. Uh, with this, so uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I can't be fooling because they look good in the first half. They stumble in the third, and again, just the way that they just don't seem to have a killer instinct where they can't have a clean sixty minutes of football. I just can't get invested because the Vikings fan, uh, me, it's AKA ninety eight. Um, yes, Michael Vick, uh, 2009, uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? You know, basically ankle gates with Brett Favre. 
Um, yeah. I've been hurt way too many times, so I just I can't I can't get on board. Um, but it does make my heart be that Green Bay is getting their butts handed to them by the Buffalo <laughs> Buffalo Bills. Holy cow, they're they uh, solid. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting, you know. Just Minnesota sports just never fail to amaze us, right? It's, uh, I mean, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> uh, but it was fun. Uh, that was yeah, sort of the uh, the game plan for for Halloween. Well, and- well, you well you mentioned the discombobulation and the fluctuation and the start and this and that. For a second, I thought you were talking about the Duluth Bulldogs, um, and their hockey team. But uh, I mean, one I could see where that would get mixed up. No, you but- know, <laughs> you know, it's uh, well the difference is uh, the home team won this time. Uh, but like, uh, yeah, the, speaking Ouch. of hockey, uh, NCAA wise, WCHA wise, everything is going crazy here. Um, I mean, the non conference, fitting- the non conference this year has been. You know, throw everything. It's it's almost like how Midwesterners make a casserole. It's like throw whatever the hell you have in the cupboard. <laughs> you know, throw some sauce and some cheese on it, bake it, and be like, okay, let's see what the hell happens. And well, la- well, last week was really the first slate that we got started for some a lot of conference games, too, and we had a lot of craziness going on this mm-hmm. week even, too. So, um, yeah, I mean, Halloween special, obviously, here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. It is interesting, by the way, Nick. I forgot to mention this to you. Um, of course, you joined me last week for the Minot Minotauros game, right? Of course, mm-hmm. they swept Bismarck this weekend. Uh, we actually have an ad spot on the Minotauros airwaves now. In fact, two of them. We now sponsor uh, the media timeouts for the Minotauros, and we have uh, intermission ad spot as well, too. So um, oh. free of charge, even. How about that? So uh, you swing that one? Uh, something or, about working with the team. Is and, that a non-disclosure agreement? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Oof. Anyway, I... Uh, <laughs> Well, what I will disclose to you just, is just we, don't allow, uh, you know, a uh, don't gosh, dig yourself into. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> what's what's the attorney, Michael? Don't let Michael Cohen, you know, to make run the check over. I'll just say it that much. I I'm just here. I, I just designed the graphics and pumped the episode out. Um, But speak, <laughs> speaking of getting pumped, uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers, let's start with some Big Ten conference play losing on night number one to Ohio yeah. State. Uh, six to four in night number one. They did redeem themselves a four to two victory in night Much number two. Um, yep. They did not throw any sticks in the crowd. We didn't talk about that last week. I totally forgot about that. Um, you know, and someone was asking why we didn't talk about that big play. So, um, first of all, your impressions of the Ohio State stuff. But do you want to talk about the thing from North Dakota from last week? Briefly, honestly, you know, that's just it's a young player mm. making a immature type decision. Um, and this is what you can get from a younger club, right? It's, it's the, it's the checking of the emotions. Does this go back? Does this go back to the whole, like, you remember when, uh, Cody Eakin, uh, you know, and Joe Babowski, you know, and it was like, why could why would you make a play like that? But is it that, or is it more, how did you blow the lead that you had after that? Well, I think. I think it, it's because you have two emotional extremes, right? You have the jubilation of the goal. You you're, feel like you're on top of the world. You throw your stick and you think it's harmless. And all of a sudden you get a 10-minute misconduct. And all of a sudden you take what you thought was really cool and really fun into, uh, I got to set 10 minutes? What the hell is this, right? Um, and what you see with young teams is something like that, for some odd reason, just seems to throw them off of balance. And I just feel yeah. like the golfers just – got out of sync from that. It really affected him more than it should. Right. Yeah. But from all the hockey that you and I have witnessed and played in, sometimes those little things add up to big results, big consequences. Yeah. Right. I just kind of feel like that was the spark. Now you, you could make the argument. Okay. It's a stick in the stands. You had to get a 10 minute misconduct in. Okay. Stupid. But 
you know, let bygones be bygones. But again, it's to me, that's a symptom, um, an expression of a young club that's still trying to figure out how to manage their emotions um, in, a, in a college hockey game. Yeah. Uh, again, there's, there's no denying the skill that the golfers display. I think we're all on board with that. But again, what we've seen with super teams in the past, uh, haven't we seen some of that before? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh geez. Uh, you know, probably, probably, pick- probably one of the best decors we've seen in university of Minnesota for history. It's, they it's are that really good. good. Um, surprised that they lost to Ohio state this week though. Uh, I think Ohio State's slightly underrated. Yeah. I, I, and I, I don't, and I don't mean that they're on the same level as the Govers are not, but I do think they have a sneaky way of just hanging in. But let's mm. also not forget that when you give them an opportunity to hang around too, you know, they have the ability yeah. to take advantage of it. Six so, goals, though. Like, yeah. Yeah. And there's there's still some questions in between you know, the, the 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 red iron pipes uh, yeah. with the golfers, too. So, yeah. Um, well, as I say, just keep it close. Right. Bada boom, bada bing. Uh, I see what you did there. Wow. Uh, this just in. Um, Penn State. This, uh, this, this just in. I want a refund. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry. Um, we get our ad spots for free. Um, Penn, oh. Penn State, uh, two to one victory and four to nothing sweet versus Wisconsin, which is great for them because now they have an edge on the Bulldogs if they get close to them in the pairwise. We are also going to talk about the pairwise a little bit this week, by the way. Yes, the first week that we're going to do we that. Can. So, yep. Yeah. So, um, I, I I'm surprised and not surprised all at once. Penn state is all right, but it's hard to really gauge them right now. Cause they haven't really played anybody that has been crazy. But like I said, I mean, Penn state, no. beat, Penn state beat Wisconsin, Wisconsin beat Duluth, Wisconsin gave St. Cloud a run for their money. Like hockey world's crazy already, man. It is. And Penn state is a very high octane offense right now. Uh, they're throw anything. And I think they were averaging, if I saw it correctly, like 35 or 36 shots a game. Now, granted, you know, are they coming from all high danger areas? Probably not, but it seems to be that their, you know, modus operandi is to throw it on net and dig for the loose change and pop the second and third chance opportunities. in. it seems to be working at least early. And again, the competition they have played so far, maybe not grade a type, but the schedule will eventually catch up to them and a true measuring stick for them will be coming here as Big Ten conference play continues to run all roll through. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame five to one victory and a one to one tie versus Michigan State. Good to see Michigan State bounce back in night number two. Kind of mm-hmm. an intriguing little result there. Over to the CCHA 2.0. Mankato three to two victory on Friday versus Bowling Green in overtime. And then a four to two finish in night number two. This Bowling Green team, I don't think is half bad this year. They've had some ups no. and downs early, but mm-hmm. um, they're certainly a dark horse candidate in the CCHA, I think, to maybe I be would a top three so. team. Yep. Yeah, so uh, Ferris State, 3-2 victory in overtime in night number one. And then St. Thomas, victory for them in night number two, a 5-2 to two score for the Tommies. You love to see it. How about that? Uh, first ever Division One win in their history came last year at Ferris State, and their first yeah. win of the season comes against Ferris State. So, yeah. uh, And again, they could have had both had it not been for a, an overtime uh, winner at, well, uh, by uh, the Bulldogs there from Ferris State. So St. Thomas, yeah. I don't know if you want to say they're pulling things together because, again, Ferris, they're not a bad squad. Are they a top-tier squad? No, yeah. but it's... They it's, gave it's, Penn it's, State a run for their money last week. They did, and it's yeah. a mo- and again, it's about how do we carry that momentum until one weekend from another? How do we continue to do things that make us successful, clean up some other things that are holding us back? Uh, there's some potential, shall we say, fire brewing for St. Thomas that they can keep the train rolling. 
Yeah, certainly. Alaska Fairbanks, two to one victory for them Friday, three to two loss against Northern Michigan on Saturday. Just another score to keep an eye on as we've had a lot of teams playing each other here. No scores from the ECAC. Not really many big matchups that I don't think will come out of there this year that we'll talk about, but we'll let you know when they happen. Mm -hmm. Hockey East, though, had some real interesting stuff for us here. Uh, let's start, uh, I believe, on Thursday. Connecticut five, Boston College one. This the UConn team's team, no joke. Yeah, they're no joke. Mm -mm. Yeah, they're a good hockey team. I'm very yeah. curious to see um, what they're going to do. I believe they have Maine next week, um, and Maine had right. some common opponents. So uh, on Friday and Saturday, UMass Lowell, uh, a two to one victory against BU in night number one, and BU a two to one victory in overtime on the other side in night number two. So UMass and BU, uh, UMass Lowell team that we're paying attention to as well. And then how about UMass? That's mm -hmm. just UMass, no, no extra letters on the end. Not of that the one. state of hockey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Three to two victory in overtime against Merrimack, and then Merrimack a two to one victory against them in overtime. UMass has had some common opponents, notably the Denver Pioneers this season. So, mm -hmm. like I said, the the college hockey world, it's, I you know, this is the first year that we're starting to really see a lot of games cross country again. Mm -hmm. And usually that kind of makes it easy to evaluate where we're at as, as far as certain leagues or certain, you know, teams that we think are high up that confundling man, more and more confusion mm -hmm. as we're getting these teams that are certainly uh, giving teams a run for their money. Atlantic hockey, only notable here, uh, RIT five, Holy Cross two and night number one, and then a three to two victory for RIT in overtime and night number two. RIT and Holy Cross have both had common opponents that relate back to our neck of the woods on the western side. And then independent Lindenwood, we've been keeping an eye on them. They won seven to three on Friday night, but then lost three to one against Bentley mm -hmm. uh, in night number two. Don't forget Bentley also, I believe, beat Ohio State earlier they this season. So yes, they did. Mm -hmm. Did I tell you it was crazy? It's crazy. Um, nuts. It is nuts. Uh, Okay, well, Big Ten, we've got three matchups that we're going to pay attention to this week. Tell me which one you're most looking forward to, Nick. Wisconsin is traveling to Michigan State. Notre Dame will be at Minnesota, and Michigan and Penn State will be matching up. Irish and Gophers. Uh, yeah. Again, it was the Irish that, with their defensive game, shut out UND, uh, meaning the, uh, the Fighting Hawks, uh, last year. Uh, I should say last spring. I, should, I say last year, and it's only been, yeah. what, six months? It's weird. Um, yeah, in the NCAA uh, tournament. So uh, Notre Dame, I, kind of inconsistent at the moment, but they have shown that they can uh, provide some offense against five goals in their Friday night victory just this past weekend. Uh, I think that's a good measuring stick for both squads, at least as Big Ten is concerned. And then yeah. can Wisconsin, I mean, I think they're all intriguing, to be honest with you. Wisconsin, can they keep, you know, uh, things rolling up against Michigan State that had a pretty good weekend. And then I could, uh, I could see a split in that. Series. I could see that. Yeah. And then uh, Michigan Penn State uh, again, uh, Michigan, holy buckets. There's yeah. some uh, there's some firepower up and, there. And we're going to find out how good are the Nittany Lions. Yeah. You know, the first the, real big test yep. of the year. Mm hmm. Certainly would agree. Uh, CCHA 2.0, we've got a lot of matchups to talk about. Alaska Anchorage will travel to Air Force for some non-conference action. Pay attention to that one, though, of course. Um, Anchorage beating Western Michigan earlier this season, as well as NMU and Air Force had a matchup with CC last weekend that we'll touch on a little bit later, so pay attention to that one. Michigan Tech traveling to Bowling Green. This Michigan Tech team is no slouch of a team either. Had a good weekend mm -hmm. again last weekend. Um, I believe at Lake Superior, but I can't remember for certain. Uh, they'll travel to Bowling Green, who's had a decent start to the year. Mm -hmm. Ferris State will travel to Bemidji State. Huskies fans keeping an eye on that one now more than they probably want to. Probably. Uh, 
Minnesota State Mankato uh, will travel to St. Thomas. They'll get to Tommy's next weekend. That'll be the fun matchup of the Purples. And then uh, Northern Michigan will travel to Lake Superior State next weekend. Um, ECAC, we do have a matchup to talk about. Cornell will travel to Quinnipiac on Saturday only, I believe, um, because I think one of those two teams has a different opponent on Friday night. But Cornell, of course, um, just getting off their matchup, uh, I believe, with Duluth. Yep. And then Quinnipiac, of course, had a matchup against North Dakota a couple weeks ago. So that will kind of mm-hmm. give us a gauge as to where those two teams might be at. Um, Boston College, Thursday, Saturday matchup against Merrimack. We're going to get look to see how this BC team fares against the Merrimack team who gave UMass a run for their money this weekend. And then Maine, of course, will travel to the University of Connecticut and RIT Saturday, Sunday against AIC. Keep an eye on that one. NCHC action. Let's talk about some scores here a little more in depth now that we actually know these teams a bit better here, Nick. Uh, let's start Denver at Miami, our first conference games of the year in the NCHC. DU a sweep four to nothing and four to two. Um, you know, I think it was two to nothing after two periods in night number one. And then it was, I think, like three to one or something after night, the period two and night number two. This Miami team, though, Nick, I got to be honest, they might not finish dead last in the NCHC this year. They have impressed me. Coming well, out well, let's, let's put it this way. They granted going up against the defending national champions who also still a, a very good team in the, in the pioneers. But for Miami, remember they got thrashed last yeah. year, in a lot of their weekend series. So to, so the score, yeah, four, nothing. Then what four, two, I think was the, yeah. uh, was yep. the weekend split, uh, meaning the, the score split, I should say. But they hung in there and they're, and they're battling. Mm-hmm. I, again, when I, when I spoke to their captain, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the gentleman. I do apologize on that for Miami, but he said, Hey, we've had a culture change in our locker room and we're not going to go down without a fight. We've got the right pieces in place. And uh, it certainly shows again, Denver's a tough opponent. We know the skill they have uh, yeah. up and down the lineup. So good to see Miami, at least, you know, give making them earn it um, yeah. for the 60 minutes. And I do think uh, that as we go through, you're absolutely right. I think right now, shall we say, is Omaha the team that might be the one that slips? Actually, Omaha, we'll get to this in a moment. They're actually doing all right. They're four and three right now. Um, so night number two for Miami, uh, they were down two nothing entering period number three. And uh, uh, Denver scored with three minutes and change left and then with two minutes left in that hockey game. So basically Oof. a two nothing hockey game through much of mm-hmm. that game um, on, I believe, sorry, this was Friday. And then Saturday, that four to two final. Let's take a look. Um, same kind of story here. Miami scored first, then Denver, then Miami, then Denver. So Miami actually carried a lead in the period number three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then halfway, just after halfway, um, Denver got the go ahead marker and then Denver scoring with a minute and change left. So, I mean, they were in both of these hockey games. Yes. They um, were. I would be curious to see the box score shots 42 to 20 on night number two for Denver, um, which isn't that surprising, I guess, but, uh, and then night number one, that four to nothing victory for Denver shots, 38, 24, but still almost putting up, you know, 10 shots a period, uh, you know, five to 10 shots a period, I guess, you know, so Denver making strides. Um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, next matchup, Western Michigan was at and verse Michigan and the Wolverines boy, was this yeah. a barn burner of a series, Michigan getting both of them five to four in night number one, and then six, five in overtime, the Wolverines eke out the win against the loss and lunatics in Kalamazoo. Um, mm-hmm. geez. Well, first of all, the game actually happened. Yeah, but beat me to uh, my punchline. But thanks. Yeah, but but <laughs> then they were uh, they were really good hockey games. 
There were. And again, the offense on both sides, mm-hmm. again, on display, really. I, I know that Michigan gets a lot of accolades for some of the, the top-end talent. But let's not forget, ever since Pat Firstweiler took over Andy Murray, uh, Western Michigan has, shall we say, sort of gotten away from a little bit more of that sandpaper style. And they've got some skill and some scoring yeah. touch. Um, a big reason why they got as far as they did, as far as, you know, setting some some school records and, and getting to places that had been before last year, meaning to the NCAA tournament, winning also, also a game as well. So yeah. uh, that's, again, it's one goal games against one of the better top-ended yeah. teams in the country. That's not a you're, – you're not going to like the win-loss record, but you have to like the battle. You have to like how close those games were. Yeah, the one that bites for Western to start the season was that lost up at Anchorage, unfortunately. Yep. Uh, another team reeling a little bit had to have them both. They did. Duluth beating Cornell they at home. Beat them both, yes. 3-2 to two and 4-2 to two made it a little more interesting than they maybe wanted to, though. Probably. Um, so mm-hmm. Duluth survives that one. Omaha traveling to Long Island University, two to one on Friday night. They get the win, seven to one on Saturday. Opened up a little bit. Yeah, big big victory for them. Uh, big matchup here: CC eight to nothing in night number one against Air Force, and then traveling to Air Force, losing six to three in night number two. What a swing in those two games. The CC yeah. this Tiger team still hard to get a read on them. I they are just struggling on the road. It just seems like yeah, they, and it seems like. The this it's been the Saturday games too. No, it's like they, yeah. they come out good on Fridays, and it seems like either some adjustments are made from their opponents, and it just seems like the offense again eight to nothing against Air Force. When was the last time we saw color across great goals? It's been a, at least in one game, I should say. It's been a while. That's a great um, question. That's actually a that's that's one for the uh, maybe for the books. That, uh, we'll research one, that one later, one, right? One for the max and tally, right? Right, exactly. Uh, but you know, but that's and this is where college hockey shows, right? Is that when you're right. playing the same team back to back, you have to know that your opponents are going to be making some adjustments. And it seems like CC, at least on the second half of a series, is having trouble closing it out. But still, are competitive games, and I think that's part of again the transition under Chris Mayot. That it's part of those growing pains. Is yes, we have good starts, but now how do we carry that? and to make some adjustments ourselves to ensure that we can grab both wins out of a weekend series. Right. Uh, while only one game was played on Saturday, the Hall of Fame game uh, down at T-Mobile Arena in Vegas, North Dakota, scoring the first two of this hockey game. Arizona State storming back with three straight three. to take this victory. That's awesome. Three to two. Yeah, it is. Um, I, it was kind of funny. Um, I had some friends. I, I think the final shots on goal, if I'm not mistaken, let me pull it up here. Didn't Arizona uh, State have an edge in that? Like massively. Yeah. Um, from what I remember. In fact, I think it was like North Dakota only finished. Why can't I find the score here? I said, there it is. Um, box score here. Yeah. Shots were 21 15 uh, in favor of ASU. So they did not give North Dakota much space. No. And a couple of guys I was skating with tonight talked about, they're like, I can't believe North Dakota, you know, Played like that and blah, blah, whatever. This Arizona State team is going to be we, good, man. We, we talked about this, right, where Arizona State, you know, especially with some of the transfers, remember, they they had some good transfers come into their program, and especially with, is it uh, Shane Doan's kid uh, at, the, at the helm? They've got some right. offense. They've got some offense. I think their big question is actually, and that is a Sentum Feller. That's their starting goaltender, at least at the – at least – on paper um and just again the inconsistencies with them and being an independent does not help their case either um and i say that because yeah first the travel schedule for them is atrocious right um it's so that makes it tough and then to have sort of this very hyped up 
Hockey Hall of Fame game, which, I mean, granted, Vegas put on a really good show for that. Let's put it that way. Really, really good show. Yeah. Um, but and then able been able to storm back against North Dakota. Holy buckets. I mean, that's yeah. shall we say that's a statement so, win for Arizona. So, so the, the question is, is ASU just that good? Or is North Dakota maybe not the powerhouse that we thought? Or is it just two good teams going at it, do you think? I think both can be correct because remember we talked about how UND when we did our NCHC preview, right? Where there's a lot of top end talent, but they're very young too. And you kind of wonder if these are the young growing pains. Whereas ASU, I think, has a little bit more experience in their lineup. There's still right. two very good hockey teams, so it's it's a one goal game. Right. It's a one goal game. It's not like this is a blowout. Um, I think if you're North Dakota, the big thing under Brad Barry, he was disappointed is that you're up by two. Granted, you know, the Omen, right? It's the worst lead in hockey, but you got to be able to lock things down and close it out. But you got to give credit to Arizona State for uh, sticking with it, for uh, coming back, getting three unanswered, and uh, taking on the victory in that uh, very prestigious game there down at uh, T Mobile Arena. Right. Um, yeah, I'm actually looking for those who are curious what I'm up to right now. I'm actually, I have downloaded the Colorado college going back to them. I'm trying to find the last time they have scored eight goals and I'm still sifting through hoping that I'm going <laughs> to, hoping that I'm going to find something. Well, here. the last time St. Cloud did against Miami last year, uh, this yeah. last February. Um, yeah. So there's that. I'm trying, um, trying to see here. Their, their record book is actually extremely confusing to follow, by the way. Um, and there, it hasn't been updated in a couple of years. But I, like I said, I mean, they I haven't scored any goals. If I had a guess, it'd be probably in the early 2000s. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of looking at. They, so, they, won, they actually won in February 27th of 2004. They beat St. Cloud 7-1. Oh, here we go. Uh, an 8-2 victory. Who do they play, though? It just says home. <laughs> what was the date? Oh, it, oh, they're all against. Oh, I see they're doing it for each opponent. I see. It's each opponent. Uh, they beat St. Cloud eight to two in two thousand five. Okay. Um. So there's your last one, probably against St. Cloud. I would say. Yep. Yeah, that's the last time they scored eight goals against St. Cloud. I'd have to go through each opponent. Um. But you know, we don't, we don't have time for that. <laughs> you, mean, you mean you don't want to do a whole expose on Colorado College hockey? Come on, man. Not, not today. Um, well, let's do an expose on uh, our team. Uh, the last matchup in the NCHC groups here. Uh, St. Cloud was at the Sanford Center on Friday night at home Saturday against Bemidji State, losing 3-1 to one against the Beavers Friday, 4-1 to one victory on Saturday, a tale of two games literally. Yes. Um, night number one. Uh, Bemidji State, 3-1 to one victory. Zach Okabe gets the scoring started on the power play in the first period from Jack Peart and Yami Kranla. Bemidji State, two goals in the second, including a power play marker, and then a power play marker at the tail end of that game with just a few seconds remaining in period number three. Shots on goal, 28-18 to 18 in favor of the Beavers. Faceoffs, um, uh, Huskies were 31 for 50-something, got cut off here, 56.4%, um, I believe, for... I believe it's actually for Bemidji uh, State, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, power plays one for seven for the Huskies, three for five on the PK, allowing two goals mm-hmm. uh, on special teams. Jackson Caster, 25 saves um, on 28 shots. Nick, uh, you know, this game was ugly. Yeah. Uh, what went wrong here? I think a lot of things, um, obviously. Um, <laughs> Nailed it. First, well, right. So, but. <laughs> couple of things uh, a lot of penalties in this game so i don't think the flow of the game was helping st cloud get to their game uh, i kind of just it felt like they were off almost at all 60 minutes uh not great in the face off though as we saw and it just seemed like the 
you always say the hockey cliche that the passes were two, you know six inches off uh you right. gripping the sticks too tight it just was a night where St. Cloud just wasn't there and I don't right. know I don't know what it was uh because it was very uncharacteristic and for a lot of the chatter that we saw uh in conversation was that was one of the worst games that they've seen St. Cloud play in maybe a couple of years in yeah. terms of just how discombobulated they looked and I would have to agree with that. They did not look good at all. Yeah. So I did actually lie. The Huskies were 56.4% on the faceoff dot, though, which is a great sign. 31 for 55, even in that loss. Um, you know, when we talked about the faceoff struggles that St. Cloud has had before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to see them finally kind of getting back on their their high horse and being able to get the job done. Like we mentioned, Jackson Castor. I mean, you can't really fault him. You know, giving up two shorties. What do you want him to do? Or sorry, when you're giving up two power play goals when you're shorthanded yeah yeah certainly um other night saturday night dominic bassey and net stopping 18 of 19 in this Mm -hmm. matchup um you know and this is the this is the thing nick is that uh bemidji state actually scored again on the power play so something to keep an eye on here one of the things that's been the saving grace we'll get to it in just a few moments has been the other side of that though for the huskies one of the best shorthanded well actually one of the best shorthanded teams Mm -hmm. in the nation to start the season two power play goal um to match in period number two vieti mietnen on special teams from adam ingram and dylan anhorn good to see all three of those guys producing and Adam Ingram. Oh boy. On assist in the second period. Uh, disgusting. And dare we fourth, say fourth men are uh, number four in the top tens yesterday or today, I believe. So and how about this? Andreas Anthonisio for the wild, uh, almost a duplicate goal uh scored against yeah. the wild tonight, too. Uh yeah. so holy yeah, just nasty to be able to drag it not only on the yeah. toe, but between the legs and then in one motion go backhand roof uh and had some velocity on it too. That was uh, uh, yeah. a showcase of skill shall we say from the freshman yeah third period yami cranola a shorthanded marker from kyler kupka then zach okabe dylan anhorn telling his second point of the night with an assist yami cranola his second point of the night as well too to cap off the scoring shots 36 to 19 in favor of st cloud that night 70 percent in the face-off circle 49 for 70 for the huskies fantastic and we talked about power play one for seven uh, both nights and then five for six on the PK tonight with a shorty to boot. Um, and we talked about Dominic Bassey's play. You know, Nick, here's the thing is that this team, this team has looked much better at home. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that that big ice sheet doesn't play a factor. You know, it I, always has, you know, um, and shall we say that and it's going to happen sooner than later. Yeah. I'll tell you this way that sooner or later Olympic Sheik's going to be gone. Yeah. Um, just well, because might well, actually be, it might actually be later the way that they're having trouble getting the chillers that would have to be reset in order to do it. But well, but that's the last I heard, and this is coming from some conversations, uh, up at the Herbrooks national hockey center. Sometimes I feel in the women's games is there seems to be a push for funding, yeah. um, that may already be somewhat ghostedly secured to, cause they have to replace it. Yeah. The, the, the 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 issue is that uh the, it's, what, it's what they're pushing yeah well yes. well the issue is also the chillers and the style that the the way the chillers run run which are in the four corners basically right yeah right on the outside of the rink um the material the substance the liquid that they put in them they don't the company doesn't make them anymore so and i believe environmentally it's it's banned if i recall correctly well the other issue that they're having too is when they take them out that building the way that it sits on on the water table that's there is is a real nightmare too so um yeah but nonetheless i mean 
use it while you got it, right? That ice sheet. Yeah. And, you know, granted, the upgrades to the Herb have been long overdue with the video boards. The sound system still has yet to be desired. Um, to me, it's still very, shall we say, muffled. Um, the volume is there because the speakers are definitely now the right size for that venue. Yeah. But you're putting just a larger speaker in the same tin can. There's not, there needs to be some acoustic tuning, we'll put it today. Um, that's in a building that's what a concrete walls and then a yeah. tin roof. I mean, that's, um, well, you talked about the issues. That's going to be second priority, you know. For, of course, for this, right. Um, and, and dare I say, you know, going back to the Olympic sheet, you know, at some point it's going to have to happen. And I've argued before that, yes, it's an advantage to St. Cloud to be on the Olympic sheet. And granted, I've uh, been reading actually some things on the history of the Herbert's National Hockey Center and the big push. And the question I've always wondered, why was it an Olympic sheet to begin with? Um, here's something interesting you probably didn't know. Part of the policy push at the House of, uh, at the Minnesota House of Representatives, the Senate, was the expenditures were actually part of Olympic spending. So it was part of a much larger bill. Um, right. So it, I forget everything that wasn't, but it wasn't like its own bill that got pushed through. So this wasn't like a St. Cloud State specific funding. Yeah. It was essentially shall we say you know kind of earmarked yeah to something an, bigger. an outside entity basically essentially yeah. yeah but they got it done again credit to her brooks for actually you know making that happen but at some point to prepare these athletes for the nhl game you have to play in the same sheet in yeah. my opinion i just i think that has to happen at some point now granted the arena as we talked about may force them to do it sooner than maybe they'd like to but I've always argued, I think at some point you just have to do it. Yeah. And don't forget for those who are curious, by the way, there is a practice sheet on the other side. So when they do travel to places like Bemidji and other, most other arenas, they do practice on that sheet to make sure they are prepared uh, for that less time and space for the normal sheet as well. Mm -hmm. You know who else would have them prepared his last game after 28 years Minkle. with the team, Jeremiah Minkle, um, mm -hmm. taking a new job, wants to be closer to his kids, wishing him the best of luck. I mean, I've, we've seen Minks down at the rink plenty of times. Uh, he's even given me some uh, help with my equipment, actually, when I was in St. Cloud, too. Um, just a great guy. Of course, his kid was or his family was roaming around there, too. I mean, it's just like uh, it, just a fantastic guy. You know, it's the stories that, like Jeremiah Minkle, right, where the casual fan sees him as the equipment manager. They see him yeah. as he's the guy that's helping to sharpen skates and getting jerseys and gear ready, right? Um, there's so much more, and the Rink Live, I believe it was McHatton, did a wonderful expose mm -hmm. on Minkle. So if you do, shameless plug, if you do actually have an opportunity to read that, check that out. But you talk about just sort of the emotional support. He was kind of a father figure to a lot of these young freshmen and these guys coming in, right? Where, um, you know, you drop your skates off and there would be conversations. And I think Mick Hatton did mention that, I think it was actually Jack Peart, um, yeah. specifically that he would see him before they would go to rink of practice, Peart and Minkle were having a cup of coffee and um, chatting with Minkle last year um, a couple different times, even one for uh, a television interview. He's got the sense that he just, he just has that family you know, just moral value system to him. He just has that just sort of fatherly figure, I should say it. And again, yeah. to, to the big reason why again is, is, is kids, well, I think only six months old, but yeah. uh, made him realize, Hey, I love this job. Uh, but 
I really would, you know, if I have the opportunity to have weekend, be there right? weekends yeah. and be there for my kid as he or she gets older, um, I need to take that. And it's, it's an out of hockey job. I believe it's something to do with like a uh, electricity. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I, read I don't know the exact, I don't know the exact thing, but it's a non hockey related job. All I can say, and I think all Huskies fans will can relate to this no way is, Got to tip your cap to Jeremiah for the uh, work that he's done both on and off the ice. Um, all the advice he's given to the players, the support he's been giving. He really was a presence um, in that locker room um, around the hallway. He'll be deeply, deeply missing that organization. Um, and you just cannot put a price tag on a human being like Jeremiah. You just can't. Yeah, you cer- you certainly can't. And in fact, I want to see if I can. Of course, you caught me on the spot here that I don't have the the article up. I just had it up, and I just closed it when you said it. Um, unfortunately, but uh, with that being said, uh, wishing Jeremiah the best of luck. Obviously, he was very cordial to us every time we saw him down there. Mm-hmm. Um, NCHC does keep clicking along with or without Jeremiah, though. So uh, we yeah. do pay attention to what's coming up here. We technically, 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 technically have standings for the NCHC. Technically. Um, yep. Denver is in first, uh, 2-0, six points on the season. Miami is technically in second, 0-2, but they're the only two teams who have played. Uh, best of the rest, if you're going by non-conference rankings, St. Cloud would be third at 7-1. and one. Western Michigan and Omaha both at 4-3. and three. North Dakota um, at 3-3, three and three. Duluth at 4-4, four and four. and then CC is at 3-4. and 3-4, that's right, 3-4-1. Yeah, so, right. okay. um, so that's your best of the rest. What's on tap in the NCHC? Minnesota Duluth will travel to Colorado College first uh, action for the Tigers. Uh, maybe could catch Duluth sleeping a little bit here. They've been good at home. Uh, they have been. Certainly could see if Ed Robeson can give them a little bit of magic. Um, you know, I mean, they they won their game eight to nothing on Friday. I don't think that they don't have it in them. They just got to find they that do. consistency for this crew. Uh, Miami will travel a little bit closer to home to Western Michigan. It'll be a keep tough battle. Keep yep. an eye on that one. North Dakota travels to Omaha Baxter Arena for their mm-hmm. first matchup of the season. St. Cloud is headed to visit the defending national champion Denver Pioneers for their first NCHC test. What a oof. test it will be. Yes, it will be. Um, I mean, you say oof. I, I'm. I mean, they're a good team. Don't get me wrong, but this Denver mm-hmm. team doesn't scare me like they did last year. I mean, they've had some bumps in the road to start the season. Husky's still going to have to be on their A game. I think they haven't won at Magnus Arena since like 2014. So, mm-hmm. um, it, I believe it's probably one of the longest standing, um, you know, arena droughts for any NCHC team for sure. It is in St. Cloud's history by a mile. Uh, the next closest is I think Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo, or it was yeah. until last year at least. Um, so yeah, but. St. Cloud, Denver, what do you anticipate? Oof. And it's not the team. I say, Wolf, it's what you mentioned, the history at Magnus, right? There are just some arenas that you go to, you're like, crap. And St. Cloud has had some healthy leads in that building during they that have. time, too, that it's, they've blown. Yep. That that arena has been, uh, in the Halloween, they've been, uh, you know, ghosts and goblins to that, to that yeah. freaking squad. Um, Denver's still a great team. Um, they're really good when they play with a lead again in Magnus, they just seem to have our number. Uh, yeah. now for St. Cloud, you know, despite the very, shall we say, terror, you know, not great performance in Friday, they rebounded, got back to the game on Saturday at home against Bemidji, but can you carry that sort of same momentum and can you mentally be prepared for a road game? And actually go out there and execute. I think that's can we. I think for St. they just have to have a really good start of this game. Yeah. Um, it seems to be that on the road, St. Cloud in its history have have had some slow starts on the road that hurt them. 
Um, and Denver is not going to be one uh, team you want to give any sort of slack to. Um, when you give them an inch, they take a mile. Um, and again, they're very, very comfortable at home for St. Cloud. Again, uh, going into conference play, um, they're taking a, a pretty darn good record in the non-conference into, you know, into NCHC play now. You got to have these conference points um, because stranger things have happened. Look how crazy it's been so far, right, Noah? Yeah. Um, Duluth has had a god-awful shall we say non-conference, yeah. but they may go run the table in the NCHC because yeah. let's not forget they didn't allow a single goal and won the NCHC frozen faceoff last year. Yeah. Well, so, stranger things the, have happened. Yeah. It gives me hope that this St. Cloud team started seven and one though. I mean, a great, I mean, besides the little blip against Bemidji state, we talked about it in MNCA, they were bound to have a terrible game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at some point, at um, some point, yep. You know what? It's a bump in the road. Only make it that um, they responded very well the next night. Um, gives me a lot of confidence. Uh, moving over to the pairwise, mm-hmm. um, there are only two teams in the country that are undefeated. Nick, do you know who they are? Hmm. Without cheating, you little cheater, you little cheater. I'm, I'm not cheating. I heard you click your pairwise. <laughs> yeah, you're you're gonna see it. They're both right. I'll say I'll tell you this. It was not the two teams I would have guessed. Yeah. I was going to guess Michigan, and I was going to guess um, <laughs> no, seriously, and Connecticut. Yeah, Harvard uh, is technically well, one in the pairwise. Uh, okay, but just just hold on. They're two and zero, and Penn State is in third at eight and zero. The St. Louis State Huskies are second in the pairwise right now. Whatever you want to take that with a grain of salt, seven and one, as are the Michigan Wolverines, who have lost one game. Um, but let's run you through uh, the top sixteen. Um, we're going to do that every week, and we'll talk about teams otherwise as we see foot fit. Um, of course, take this, like we said, with a grain of salt because we are very early here. But first, mm-hmm. a couple of rankings. So here we go. Uh, Harvard, number one, St. Cloud, Penn State, Massachusetts, and Denver in the top five. Uh, six to ten, Michigan, UConn. I mean, great start to the season for them. Yep. BU, Ohio State is ninth. UMass Lowell is 10. Providence, 11. Michigan Tech, 12. Sacred Heart is How about 13. that, huh? Uh, Bemidji State jumps up to 14, guessing for sure with that victory against uh, St. Yep, Cloud. Miami sure. is 15, and Quinnipiac is 16. You're saying, where are the Gophers? Well, they're in 17th. Um, other NCHC teams of note, Western Michigan is 20 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Omaha is 30, and North Dakota is 31. Duluth is 35. Mm-hmm. Um, CC is 47. Yeah, 47, and we're missing. Or is that it? We're missing Omaha. No, we Omaha was like four thirteen, I think. Maybe that was everybody. Where's Denver? Denver, Denver would Denver's be. Denver's five. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, but yeah, no real surprises here because it's way too early to tell. AIC, Notre Dame, and Western rounding out the top twenty. Um, ASU at twenty-two, as is Minnesota State, tied in that same spot. I expect both of them to probably jump as the season goes on. Um, so yeah, those are your first preliminary rankings. Not really a whole lot to say on them just because, um, I am a little surprised maybe that Wisconsin is still down at 43. I mean, I know they're two and six, but, um, I figured that that victory against Duluth might help them a little bit more. Um, I'll tell you what Duluth is, oof, 30, 35. That's at that top. That's a tough place to start. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah. So I definitely will keep an eye on it. It will develop by the time we get to Christmas. It's going to be very, Mm -hmm. very interesting. Over to WCHA women's action. Uh, Minnesota State Mankato uh, traveled to Bemidji State uh, this past weekend. Two to one victory for Bemidji State 
And then a three to nothing victory for Mankato. Those two teams kind of going back and forth, beating up on each other. This Bemidji State team has given a couple of big dogs fits this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wisconsin traveled to Duluth, a two to one victory in overtime for the Bulldogs, finally knocking a victory mm-hmm. against the Badgers. And then Wisconsin winning a night number two by a score of four to three. Now, if you're a Huskies fan, you say, that's fantastic. Shows that we can hang with a team like Wisconsin. Well, what's not fantastic is that victory keeps Duluth ahead of the Huskies in the standings. Yes. So mm-hmm. uh, kind of a double-edged sword there. Minnesota traveling to Ohio State, and this was an absolute weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. Four to nothing, or excuse me, four to two victory in night number one for the Gophers in Ohio. And then a four to four tie that Ohio State won in the shootout. Mm-hmm. Um, at, on home ice. So, uh, yeah, a lot of chaos, even women's hockey here. St. Cloud at inverse St. Thomas last weekend. They got them both. Four to one victory in night number one, four nothing in night number two for an eight to one total combined score against the Tommies last weekend, who are dead last in the WCHA. We'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Night number one, Clara Hamlerova uh, didn't get the scoring started until an unassisted tally in the second period. You need a Newland from Ali Cornelius. Cornelius and Clara Hamlerova again from Newland and Bailey Burton. All those goals coming in period number two. And then Avery Myers from Yanina Newland also in the second period. So all four goals for the Huskies in the middle frame. And then Bemidji State tacking one on in period number three. Shots on goal 31 to 14 for the Huskies. Faceoffs 45.6%, 26 for 57. Uh, a, a fair improvement in night number one, but still, you, you got to get above 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even when you're playing the last place team in the WCHA. 0 for 3 on the power play, 5 for 5, perfect on the PK. He's been rock solid this year. Yeah, Sonia Hola, 13 saves on 14 shots. Um, anything surprise you about that one, or do you want to move on to night number two? Not surprising, really, if anything. Yeah. Uh-uh. All right. Well, night number two, even better. Four to nothing. Uh, shout out for Jojo Choback. 20 saves, 20 shots. Uh, I was going to ask you this question, but of course, it actually got clipped into the men's side. So first WCHA shout out for her was last season, came for Duluth. It was a one to nothing victory on 27 saves versus Ohio State. So it kind of shows you what a great pickup uh, she has been. A one to tandem between her and Sonia Hola for this Huskies team. Nina Newland from Olivia Savar got our scoring started in period number one. Clara Hamlerova, um, a great weekend for her. Um, Bailey Burton as well, a couple of assists on the weekend. And Dale Ross uh, for that tally in period number two. Emma Gentry, a pair of goals in period two and period three. Both of them from Addie Scribner, Allison Green, and Courtney Hall. The secondary assists on those last two goals. Shots 26 to 20, a bit tighter in the shot category for night number two. For St. Cloud, face-off 20 for 49 for a 40.8% clip. Uh, no power plays for the Huskies in night number two, but perfect three for three on the PK. Nick, they had to have them both. They got them both. They got them both. And again, you, you see the progression with Idolski, um, especially on the PK. That's been his trademark is the defensive area of the game. We've seen it not only in person, uh, calling the games, the structure is much better. Uh, they're playing much better as a unit, all five skaters on the ice. And this is... You can say kind of a measuring stick because this is a team that on paper you are you are skillfully better at and you took care of business, Mm -hmm. which tells us because we thought, okay, if this was going to be a successful season, they should be competing for that fifth for the fourth, fifth spot. Mm -hmm. And at least it's still early, but all indications there you were close in those the big gauntlet, the big three, Minnesota, Ohio State, Wisconsin. You lose yeah. all six games, but you're still beating at least the one team for now. They're going to get another shot yeah. this weekend. 
you're getting the points where you should be getting them to. Yeah, probably could have stolen against the Badgers. Unfortunately, weren't able to mm-hmm. do that, but did get a point out of that game. So that's uh, great to see. Uh, WCHA rankings for those who are curious, Ohio State finally losing a couple of games. So eight, one and one in the season, 25 points for them in that top spot. One of the best teams in the country, obviously. Uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers on a tear as of late, 7 0 1, 22 points for them. Wisconsin 7 1 0, one point back, 21. Uh, rounding out the home squads uh, in the top four, Mankato is up there right now at three and seven. They've got 10 points on the season because of the way their victories have been earned. Duluth is in the five spot that the Huskies so desperately covet, three and three in the season, eight points. St. Cloud, one point behind him in six, seven points for them, two and six. Good weekend for them, plus that extra bonus point against the Badgers. Bemidji, one and seven on the season, and St. Thomas, 0 oh and six. Bemidji has three points with that lone victory they have this season. So, again, this WCHA uh, women's hockey section is going to get more and more interesting, especially if Mankato, Duluth, St. Cloud, Bemidji, and St. Thomas beat up on each other. Mm-hmm. And really, I think um, Bemidji, you know, gave one of the top teams fits. Mankato has the ability to Duluth obviously showed that last weekend. St. Cloud almost stole one against Wisconsin and obviously oh, and almost to Minnesota. Yeah. Too. I would say hung into that game too. This is going to be an interesting year for women's hockey and I'm super excited for it. Um, what's on tap this week. We've got a weird week, the next couple of weeks actually for women's mm-hmm. hockey. So hang in there. Uh, Sacred heart non-conference game traveling to Mankato. Wisconsin is off this weekend. Uh, as far as conference games, Ohio State travels Saturday, Sunday to St. Thomas. Duluth will travel to Minnesota Friday, Saturday. Why do I mention Friday, Saturday? Well, it'll come back into play in just a few moments, I promise. Uh, St. Cloud will travel to Bemidji State those same times, Friday, Saturday. And then Monday, November 7th, 7 p.m., Andover Community Center, the Women's Hockey Hall of Fame game, St. Cloud will travel to face Minnesota in Andover. So Huskies have three games in four days, uh, one of which the team that they just saw last weekend, the Golden Gophers. Uh, Nick, I would say success for the weekend would certainly be taking two out of three in any fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I would say you got to get at least six points out of nine this weekend to feel like you think to feel like you had a good weekend. Um, I think we're kind of pointing towards Bemidji state as the team to beat BSU has had an up and down season that can give teams fits as we've seen to start the year. Um, The better question is, well, one, what do you expect from that matchup? But number two, can this women's team, can they get it done against Minnesota on a big stage game? They can because they darn near did it at Ritter. Yeah. Uh, in that home and home, uh, it was a one, it was a one goal game and, uh, it was what late I thought it was going to OT and then, uh, yeah, like but three minutes like left, three yeah. minutes or two minutes left. I uh, decided to get one pass. It was kind of a, a really bad bounce to, um, off the, off end, the end wall. wall. Yep. And then, uh, it was, shall I say, just a, a rebound that went right to a, a stick and, you know, credit the Minnesota player. He went to the right area of the ice. You stop, stop on pucks, as you would say, uh, and got that one bat in the back of the net. So that was kind of a heartbreaker. So. The key here is how much gas does St. Cloud have in the tank against Minnesota? Um, that's my concern. Uh, I think it's going to be tough against Bemidji State, and both St. Cloud have been giving those upper echelon teams, uh, making them earn their wins. Um, so mm-hmm. this is going to be uh, a tooth and nail type matchup between the Beavers and the Huskies. The big question I have is, I mean, Minnesota. we know how Minnesota can skate. Um, they skate laps around their opponents. And for St. Cloud, depending on how much energy they exude against the Beavers, how much can they 
continue to try to siphon out of their get proverbial gas tanks to try to give Minnesota a run for the money. That again, that's you got to earn every win, right? I know Minnesota on on paper is the more skilled team. Everybody knows that, but they made Minnesota earn those two games in that home and home series, and they're gonna have to earn one. But again, both teams playing three games in four nights. If you're gonna catch Minnesota, possibly. Um, off guard, this is the one game to do it. Yeah, for those who are curious, by the way, it was last weekend where the victory did come from Bemidji State, uh, that 2-1 to victory against the Mavericks, like we talked about. That was their first win of the season. So again, a very doable Friday and Saturday. I think you want to get both of those, kind of get that off your off your back a little bit, and mm-hmm. then see what happens on Monday. Minnesota, on paper, Gophers, better hockey team. Um, but like you mentioned with Brian Adalski and what he brings to this table, you know, I think there could be maybe an early Thanksgiving feast for the Huskies if they're able to uh, be successful down there. And I'm certainly they belong at that dinner table. Let's just put it that way. Yes, and the past mm-hmm. couple of years, they, they in did. some senses shouldn't have even been in the same house, uh, unfortunately. Right. So yeah. um, a very big steps um, for Idelski, as you like to refer him to. It makes me think of Ichiro. That um, is the from, well, that's the from what <laughs> I understand, that's the correct pronunciation is Idelski. No, it's just I like how you never say his first name. <laughs> oh, that's what I was saying. Like, uh, ah. like, like Ichiro. <laughs> um, but with that being said, let's move over to the professional world. We're moving from baseball to the Minnesota Wild. Four, four, and one now. Nine points on the season. One point out of third in the Central, and one point out of second in the wild card spot. Minus four goal differential. They did get a victory tonight in the shootout, four to three. Uh, beating Montreal on Tuesday by a score of three to one, beating Ottawa on Thursday, four to two, and then losing to Detroit last night by a score of two to one. Um, good to see Michael Huff uh, take that puck off the face and be no worse for wear, mostly right. uh, for Detroit. Yeah. That was kind of crazy. Ryan Hartman did exit the game today after his fight, and then uh, Marcus Felino was out to start the game tonight. But good to see Mason Shaw get his first um, today as well, too, uh, mm-hmm. his first NHL goal. So, um, as far as the standings are concerned, like we mentioned, the Wild eking up there. I actually think the Pacific might be stronger than the Central this year, and it's been a while since we've said that. So, uh, uh, yeah, very long it, while. Yeah, important to maybe kind of keep an eye on that and uh, make sure that we are uh, cruising along. If you're a Minnesota Wild fan, what's on tap for them? Montreal this Tuesday and Seattle this Thursday, and then they don't play until I believe the next following Monday or Tuesday. So, a uh, right. bit of a slower week for Minnesota Wild fans. Um, yeah, actually, Minnesota and the Colorado Avalanche are actually tied in record right now. Mm-hmm. Colorado has the tiebreaker, of course, with goal differential. But, Nick, this team, we, we've we talked about it so often on this show. You know, you want to hit the panic button, but it might have been a little bit too early. Now, am I saying Mark Way Andre too Fleury? early. Yeah, am I <laughs> saying Marc-Andre Fleury is set in stone? I mean, he's been playing really well. Philip Gustafson has looked good, too, I think. You know, still early, too early to tell on the other side of that, too, to say that they're going to be rock solid for 82 games. Right. But much better direction than we've seen in the first couple of games. You know, and it's interesting when you watch a hockey team, especially early, and the personnel is not much different. And you see how the execution just wasn't there. It seemed like they were given the playbooks to the new season like yesterday right it just kind of felt that way especially in the defensive zone and i think when when you and i broke it down we both saw the same thing and that is there were there were some especially defensive mistakes that were uncharacteristic and then that dominoes into goaltending and that dominoes into well 
what about the offensive forwards? Well, the off the goals were there. Right. They just were giving up more than they were putting in, right? Which is a great way to lose a hockey game. Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't push the panic button just yet. There was certainly cause for concern oh, because yeah. you 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 can't get into these marathon or sprints to seven goals every single game. But it wasn't that every single facet of the game was off. It, and you could see that it was, okay, there's a commitment issue. There is going back to what got you successful and they've, they've got it back in tune again. And again, it one down always another, right? So defensive structure has been much better, which has allowed flurry to settle in um, Gustafson against Detroit again, looked solid um, in his backup role. So it seems like this team is starting to find its way again. Now the always the proverbial nail in the, in the flat tire is when you have injuries start to pile up. Right. So you're yeah. uh, Marcus Foligno, was out, as you mentioned, start the game. Yeah. Uh, Brian Hartman. Hartman left in the middle of the second period. We looked to be um, after a, a, a really short Fight. hustle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it almost seemed like he did it when he fell. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It was kind of a it was kind of a weird. Mad dumb PTSD. Something like that. Um, but so you've got a lot of sandpaper out of your lineup. But Mason Shaw got his first NHL goal. Um, Matt Boldy continues to look like. He's uh, pretty Calder? good at he's pretty good at hockey, huh? His puck protection is is he getting lessons from Kaprizov? Because holy hell, is he good <laughs> in tight spaces? Yeah. Uh, he might be he might be a, he's is he's technically a rookie, right? Still, he's technically a rookie. Um, he, he might be. I think is he, he is. really. I think so. He might be a Calder Calder guy. I think he might. Well, geez, how many he played? He played quite a bit of hockey last 43 year. 43 games, I think, or 45. What do you have to hit to be a rookie? I don't even remember. Or to me not considered? Yeah. That's a great question. I don't know that off the top of my head. But uh, this was – and I, mean, I think the bigger question here is who was going to help – now, granted, it's not going to fall on one player. How are they going to replace Kevin Fiala? Matt Boley's making a strong case. He says, don't worry, I got it. So uh, to be considered a rookie – um, a player must not have played in more than 25 NHL games in any preceding seasons. Uh, so I feel like Matt Boldy has definitely eclipsed that hmm. last year. Let's see, Matt Boldy. NHL. Well, he definitely played more than 25. There's no question about that. Yeah, he's played 55 career games. So, yeah, I don't think he is a rookie. But certainly a fantastic season for him to start because the conversation was if he would have played all last year, he probably would have won, you know, it would have been an inconsideration. Yeah, sure. with, with how good he was. Certainly a great fantasy pickup for those playing that game, by the way. But this Minnesota Wild team, they see Montreal again, a team that they beat last week. The only two games the, these two clubs will have this season. Mm-hmm. And then Seattle for the first time. The question is, will Shane Wright be in the lineup? Uh, probably not. Um, the mismanagement mm-hmm. there has been concerning, to say the least. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not on board with that. I'm not. You don't think that it's concerning? You can't, you can't play, dude. He played, I don't, he spent, I don't, I don't think it's all a mismanagement. I know us from, from you what just, you just put the number four overall pick in the press box the last three games and you've been playing him an average of six minutes a night in the five games he has played. That's brutal. So, so well, send him down, send him to London, send him back or Kingston, wherever he's. Yeah. Send him back. Is it, is it my turn now? Oh, yeah, okay, cool. I'm just so, saying. So, I don't give a damn if you're the number one overall pick or you're the 156th overall pick. You're right that the mismanagement has been there on the fact that he has not been getting minutes. 
Uh, I don't think he's deserved more minutes. And I think so so send what, him down. What I'm trying to say <laughs> is what I'm, tr- but here's, but here's the coin flip, right? Is, is his talent is, is his talent a waste in the AHL? This is almost the, is, this is almost mean, to me, the curious case of a Jonathan Duran 2.0. Yeah. You mean the, Oh, they'd send him back to the, the, Oh, that too. Either way. Yeah. Um, but like, that's, it, it but doesn't that's matter. How good, who, who could, he needs to play games. That's what I'm saying. But if he needs to play games, he, he's not going to get into the devil. in my case, development in the OHL. He's not, okay, but so, he's, but he's not playing at all. What is he? What is he? A black no, ace for well, the no entire kidding. year? No, but yeah, I think there are some off ice issues that are contributing to what's being handled on the ice. Now, mind you, where the where I think you have some credence here is there's some mutually exclusive things that have to be figured out there, which is okay if there are some off ice issues, address them so that way send them down. Okay, but again, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I actually don't, I don't think he needs to be. I don't. I w- I'm not in favor of setting him down. I'm not. Okay, then play him more. You have to play him. Okay. Yeah. But but also, if there are off-ice issues, and you're with a Dave Hackstall-led, because he's similar to Torts in that sense, I don't see yeah. that happening overnight. Okay, well, here, well, let's put it to, to you this way. Okay, fourth line for the Minnesota Wild. It's been a combination of people, but, you know, Mason Shaw's line tonight, right? Sure. Um, You know, guys like Brandon Duhame, things like that. You know, if, you, if we went in and we're like, oh... Uh, Mason Shaw, Brandon Duhame, and uh, throw another name in there. They played, they played six twenty-five tonight. Sure, like you don't want your fourth line playing six twenty-five. Like they mm-hmm. should be, they should be pushing eight nine minutes a night at least, I maybe understand. even ten. Like right. that's the thing is like you know, Wright is not a fourth line guy, or he's not projected to be, shouldn't be. We but know, like they, yeah. they've they've not tried him at all up in that top six at all. I don't think they have wanted to. And hardly in the top. But why? How do you know? Here's the thing. It's like, think of, you know, my prime example is this guy who spent the majority of the year in the AHL and then three months later was a Stanley Cup champion, Jake Gensel. Jake Gensel to me, fantastic hockey player, right? Jake Gensel would have never been the player he was if he hadn't come up in his call up with like eight games remaining in the regular season and he got put on but who we got put on what line? Sidney Crosby's line. And he found instant chemistry, Crosby is, or otherwise, which could, could be a little bit of luck. It's doesn't a lot say, of luck. Let's be doesn't honest. say Jake Gensel is a skill, but that's what I'm saying. Jake Gensel caught fire. When's Jake Gensel ever been back down the AHL again? Because he earned that trust in the regular season. They stuck with it for the playoffs. He became a playoff stud. And then he's he's always been a top six guy in that lineup. And that's where I'm saying, not saying Shane Wright, when you put him up there on that top line, and Seattle obviously isn't an oh my god, amazing team. I mean, Matty Berniers is probably a top five guy on that team, and he just got there, right? But like with that being said, you don't know until you try it. And it's like if you feel like he's struggling that much on the fourth line in sheltered minutes, maybe he's not in the right spot. It's the same conversation we've been having with Marco Rossi. Maybe you put Marco Rossi in the top nine, top six, see how he performs a little bit there. Maybe he just needs a different look. You know? So let, so let me get this straight because I'm about to blow your argument out of the water. Okay. Well, let's hear it. Jake Gensel. Now, granted, I don't know for a fact what's happening behind the closed doors with Seattle Kraken. I don't know. What I can tell you is there was a lot of chatter about 
some, shall we say, immaturity to his persona, a big reason why he dropped to four. Okay. And my argument is Jake Gensel put in the work. AHL is different than the O. Let's, let's put that out straight. So I'm not with you on that one at all. I also feel like Jake Gensel deserved the top line minutes. I feel like he's he's the guy that's always been the work ethic and and putting in the time and to develop right, chemistry. Right, but he I'm, got he got that opportunity. I, on, he got, he got that opportunity because hold, he got called up in the on. A, and that's where the void was. Though you can't just say Jake I'm, Gensel went from being a top line AHL guy to a top line NHL player. He locked okay. into that spot and kept it. Obviously. So before you cut me out. Okay, was, get over it. Get over it. Okay. Here, here's the thing, though. Here's here's what you're missing is, I I I don't think I'm gonna I'm gonna back I'm gonna back pause that because this is okay. We'll say it this way. It is simply not a hockey reason he's stuck on the fourth line. There's no way. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you, but he kind also are, shouldn't be actually. playing. He shouldn't be playing not on that particular point, but he shouldn't be playing six minutes a night either. Give him a chance in the top six, see what he can do. Or if you feel like there's some issues, he doesn't need to be with an NHL franchise. Send him down, get him a psychologist, get him whatever he needs to make himself right. Let him have a productive season in the O. Maybe call him up for a playoff push. You do know, you really like, think his game benefits in the OHL though? When he, I know for a for a darn fact that it doesn't benefit at all with him sitting in the press box for game after game after game. I understand that you're, you're, you're placing your, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul is what I'm trying to say is I don't think any, either of those are going to help him build his game. I get one as a little bit less crazy than the other. I'm with you on that. I'd rather have him play, but I don't think sending him back to the OHL is healthy. Well, then, for his development well, then where either. do you, where do you want to put him? Again, I think that there is more to the story than just where his okay, where so his he's, so name he's got, is in the lineup chart. So he's I got, think that's why that I, I I'm very confident that's why he is where he is. It's okay. not a, so he's so he's immature. So he's in the press box. But again, then what? Like, are you going to burn his ELC, or are you just going to not burn it but let him sit in the press box? Or are you going to let the man play hockey? Like, well, I think well, okay. So with with a player like that. There has to be a plan in place, right? I don't know. I, I think it's really called mismanagement. That's what I'm trying to say is I don't know if they even know because again, it's he just got to the organization. He's a young kid, right? He's what 18, 19 years old. So the question is, what do they know and how are they trying to address how they can get him to, shall we say, ugh. Words are terrible with, with my brain today. Well, maximize what his potential is, which we all know is high. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think him being a black ace all year does that? Like, like maturity we, issues. I've never, I, I've like, never talked about full season. I'm talking about at this current moment right now. You're way, you're, you're 20 yards ahead okay, of the game. Okay. But here. at some point, they've got to make a decision on this kid. You, he only has no four, he only has four more games to play before they have to do something with him. I don't, I'll put it this way. I would put a lot of money down, including a dinner tab. Thank you, Caleb J. Peabody, that he does not move. I don't okay. think. So he's, so he stays in the show. Even if he's yes. on the fourth line, you need to play him. He needs to play. No kidding. He needs to play. But your argument is, your argument is that even if he is playing on the fourth line, that's not where he should be. And I'm, I'm with you on that. His, his, his game is not a fourth line type. Right. At least yeah. 
That's what we think he is. With his with the skill set and everything that is shown, how many times have we seen top picks? And granted, these could be scouting things that they end up being sort of a grand. Look at Ryan Hartman; that's almost a perfect example. He was quite the yeah. shooter, and his you know. So let I'm just saying, let it play out a little bit. I'm just yeah, saying, this, I don't I, mean, I don't disagree, but to let it play out, you got to let the kid play eight or nine, ten minutes a night, not five. Okay, but that's if you're going to call if three minutes a night of mismanagement. So we're talking with six shifts, five or six shifts a night that he's missing. If you're going to count 30 to 30 to 45 seconds, three minutes to 10 is a huge jump. That's like probably eight or nine shifts at least. I thought we, I thought you said five minutes to eight. Is well, you what did, well, you just said three. So I was going off of what no, you said. No, 30 second shifts, 30 to 45 second yeah. shifts. But that's, so. what I'm, that's what I'm saying, though. You look at the average time on ice for a fourth line for most NHL franchises and they're pushing eight and a half, nine minutes. So my point that. is, my point is he's better than, he's better than some of the guys that are in the fourth line right now in this line. There's, there's especially no question. in Seattle, right. but at the same time, at the same time, like you can't keep sheltering him because he's not going to learn the NHL game. If you keep sheltering him at five fifteen every night, you know what I'm saying? Like you got to let the horse right. run a little bit and Seattle Hate to break it to you, the Kraken are not winning a cup this year. So let it. If you're going to say like your philosophy, I'm with you on that. Let it play out. If you're Dave Haxtell, let it play out. Or maybe you put him with Jaden Schwartz for a night and say, and, and maybe you know, that's sort of a mission statement that is, you know, sort of like, shall we say, the Bill of Guerin? They have to earn it, and maybe in their eyes, they want those top six guys to earn it. Maybe it's is that yeah. simple? You know, I'm and again from a pure hockey analysis you're not wrong we i have not disagreed with you on that i'm simply trying to explain why he is where he is right now at least from my own yeah. compilation of, of thoughts and ideas but, again right but like you mentioned you said it feels like they don't really have a plan in place and we the, the, what we're talking about is a plan and it's like he's only got four games left to burn so they got to decide is he staying I take that and clock he's, out he's staying there's to me okay. i you can't shane wright to me does not benefit from his from his skill set. He's already shown to go back to the old go back to the Ontario Hockey League and tear it up there. To me, he doesn't learn anything from yeah. that. Obviously, well, obviously, like Marco Rossi, different story, right? Send him back down to the A, for example, right? I think that is but, a valid argument for Marco right. Rossi to go to the AHL. Yes. Right. But if I told you, if I said, yeah, they're not going to send him down to the A, but they're going to play Marco Rossi for five and a half minutes a night and then scratch him every other night, what would you say to that? You That's would a, say send him there's down. A, there's right? a well, okay. So we're talking two different players with yeah. two different backgrounds. Marco Rossi has a history of being a leader off the ice, a history of being an absolute workhorse and earning his spot. Where again, the big question mark with Shane Wright is there seems to be some immaturity issues, which I think are hampering some of the decisions and clouding, which should be an easier transition to a guy that has top six skill that has a lot of the means to be a good offensive player of the national hockey league. And that is what's clouding. I think everything they wanted to do with them again, three teams passed on him. Is there, is there an argument to be said that if you send him down to the O he gains confidence on the ice, continues to do what he does. Cause he'd tear it up obviously. And then because the on ice stuff would not be a distraction, not worried about, you know, making it in the show, making sure every shift is perfect in the NHL, which let's be real. That's what it's like to be an NHL. It's very stressful. Right? Would it, could you make the argument to say it might be better for him to go back to the O and maybe connect with people that are going to help with him on the maturity side of thing. And then the hockey side, isn't so much of a burden like it is at the NHL level. 100% no. 
And here's why I say that. It's like you turning your console, like your favorite video game from veteran mode to easy mode. Yes, you're going to get confidence, but you're not learning the NHL game. You want to be an NHL player, you need to play with NHL people, going to your point. You need more ice time, right? But the thing is, and this is where, again, the organization has to figure out what they need to do to crack his immaturity, and that is he's got to stay up. He has the talent. He's got to learn the timing of the NHL game to get any sort of progress in his game. He's not going to get that um, on the uh, Ontario Hockey League. He's just not going to get that. To me, that's a false sense of confidence. That's not learning and growing your game that way. And to me, the organization himself, I mean, you would think at the NHL level, and we both know and know that there's plenty of resources there, not only from the team itself, but from the league, the NHL Players Association, right? There's plenty of tools and avenues and support staff. Um, And and shall we say that we're forgetting, but sometimes it just takes a team captain take someone under their wing and to try to show them the right way, how to be a true pro, how to go to practice, right? You need to have that leadership. And maybe because Seattle is that expansion team, they maybe don't have that guy. Or shall we say, can we just put all the blame on Shane Wright where he just feels like he's the next Connor McDavid. He hasn't proven a damn thing in the NHL. He walks like his shit don't stink. Pardon my French. I haven't gone on a rant here, but maybe that's what it is. And they're just kind of letting it play out and saying, hey, okay, okay, you're going to walk and talk that way and you haven't proven your thing. You're going to stay on the fourth line until you prove us otherwise. Maybe it's just it's that simple of an approach. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But nonetheless, what I do know, we have one more topic to get to very quickly here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. And we won't keep you waiting. Extra Ice session coming your way now. Welcome into the Extra Ice Session, Nick Maxson, alongside myself, Noah Grant, episode number 135, our Halloween special. Um, we are spooking each other out here, so let's talk about, uh, what are you shaking your head about over here? <laughs> it's like my natural reaction to everything. Wow, okay. Um, well, well, how about this? Are you shaking our head at, at Mullet Arena, apparently? Um, because it was an interesting ride. First couple of home games, obviously they're finishing that extension, so the locker rooms will look a little bit better moving forward but first couple of games overtime loss against the jets and uh yeah coyotes uh first game in a college hockey rink <laughs> you know sh- sh- can i can i i'm gonna say the quiet part out loud and i don't really care i think i think this is getting a lot more attention than it really deserves to be honest with you i really do mm-hmm. and here's why the nhl slash the arizona coyotes slash arizona state i hate to drag them into this because essentially they volunteered to help effectively and God forbid, where would the coyotes be if Arizona state didn't have this building right now? That's why I'm dragging yeah. them into this. Right. Um, it's cool to see that there seems to be now granted. I know there's some diehard Arizona coyotes fans out there and I'm glad that they're out there. It just seems like the divorce from Glendale has been the best thing for this organization. It really has. Yeah. Um, granted, the the images I'm sure we'll get to the the visiting locker rooms and those kind of things. Those are temporary things. We all know that's not yeah. going to be every single week. It's going to get finished, as we mentioned. But the bigger question still remains, Noah, and that is, what does the permanent future for the Coyotes have? And the answer apparently is coming soon here at the end of November. Um, yeah. And from what we know or from what we think we know is that the uh, city council board of Tempe is going to refer the decision to the voters. So they're going to pass the buck and have the residents vote on approving the referendum. 
So video is online on YouTube for what the arena would look like, by the way. Um, yeah. And, and mind you, it's not just an arena. It's a whole big district. There's, yeah. you know, shopping, I think lodging, whole bunch of things, restaurants, which I think would be great. Yeah. But again, the site itself needs environmental cleanup. Uh, it's there's a whole, it would take four to five years from the first shovel being put down to, you know, ha actually hosting an yeah. NHL game. So the, the bigger question is, is this the honeymoon period or is this true Arizona Coyotes fandom and not just trying to see something that we may never see again in the NHL, which is a team playing in a college hockey rink for yeah, at least for what we know now a full season, which could be multiple to come if the arena does get passed. You know, honestly, I thought this last week, um, I can't remember when they played the first game. If it was Friday or Saturday. I can't remember. Thursday, I can't remember. Um, but regardless, I thought it was the most encouraging storyline we've had to the Arizona Coyotes saga in maybe over a year because mm -hmm. the crowd was fantastic. Yeah. Full, full house. And I've seen a lot of Coyotes fans talking about the excitement if Tempe gets approved. And I feel yes. like we are at a point where, you know, if – for a full season, we can see that type of energy at Mullet Arena, right? Really, uh, it kind of comes down to the fact, yes, the Coyotes got to put a good product on the ice. There's no secret about that. But, um, no. you know, you, you want to talk if, about mismanagement. Yeah. Well, if you're Tempe and you say yes to this project, you know, you vote mm -hmm. and you say yes, you better be darn sure that if you live somewhere near the Tempe municipality, you better be going to Coyotes games if this thing gets approved because you are all in as a fan base here now because you have become the laughing stock of the National Hockey League. You're paying, playing in a – I was going to say a rinky-dink arena, but it's a, actually a beautiful facility. And especially really once, once that extension gets done, it's going to be very nice. Um, They're making – I mean, granted, it's not their building. I mean, yeah. people – again, old, old talks just very briefly about those visiting arenas – they're making do in an arena that isn't there. Yeah. Let's put it that way. And, I mean, and it's, and it's for a handful of games. Heck, heck yeah. Shane Wright could even survive that one. Um, Maybe. <laughs> but beyond, Maybe. beyond that, um, you know, that might, that might be like playing in the OHL firm. So maybe you should play in that. Yeah. I, I, who's to say um, not us, uh, but that's the thing is like, the crowd was great. It's a great college hockey barn, you know, it's and, one of the best out there. Honestly. And, and if you're Arizona state fans or coyotes fans, you should be packing that building for ASU games too. Cause one, the sun devils are really good. And number two, you know, show your hockey fandom. That is the type of thing that really, yes, the coyotes have been terrible. Yes. They mismanaged their assets. Yes. They're kind of a shitty organization, but we're at this point And the one crux of this that for better or for worse needs to happen that the coyotes have zero control over or mostly zero control over is fan engagement. And if you're a coyotes fan and mm. you want Arizona to stay in the state of Arizona, it's put up or shut up time because this organization mm. is in an absolute hell. What do you mean? Mm, who Who's voting on this? The Tempe city council is voting or not. The Tempe residents are voting on this. Well, we don't know yet. Yeah. We don't know yet. That's you the know? thing. What I'm saying is, no, they do control fan engagement because if you run the organization correctly, actually spend money not just to the cap floor every year and put a decent product, I think they would have better. But again, the biggest wallop to that organization and what really started their downfall was moving out of Phoenix. Yeah. To move, move the move to Glendale 
and granted hindsight's 2020, we all get that, was the worst thing that they could have done. The commute to there was a 40, it was in traffic. I mean, you, you heard the horror stories in Tempe. If this goes through somehow uh, and actually gets approved, it's near the airport, it's centrally located. But I think the other thing we're missing here, Noah, is hockey is growing in a non-traditional market. And regardless of what happens to the Coyotes, let's just say it gets passed. Great. That's I, I, I'm actually there's a part of me that hopes that they do because I don't want to hear Canadians say, come to Quebec City more. That's driving me more nuts. Yeah. Let's, let's put it to that way. There aren't many cities in North America that are ready to truly handle a National Hockey League team. Well, and the other side of it, the NHL wants to go to either. Right. Let's put it to you that way. Um, the next one right now on the list is Houston. Yeah. 100%. Uh, the other side of it is let's say the counties fail. Let's say that they say no to this thing. At the very least, you hope that Arizona State, with their beautiful facility, with, and from the videos that I've seen posted to social media, that their student section has been jam packed yeah. to those games. At the very least, it gives Arizona State a boost because they're showcasing their arena in front of a national audience. They're getting NHL games in there. They're getting their facility runs trial by fire. Holy buckets. Can you right. imagine being a facilities manager for that? Holy buckets for your first yeah. go around. But at the very least, you hope to create an excitement to the younger fan base, especially around Arizona State University that can continue to grow the game in that market. And that's and that's really why I want the Coyotes to stay. Now, granted, yeah. the ownership, I believe, I would love to see the ownership change, but that's out of our control. Um, because to me, I think that's if it goes to this, if it goes to the voters, I have a fearful of that. Because Alex Marawello does not have the best reputation in that state for being the best businessman in the world. We'll right. put it that way. So, do they trust him to do it? I don't know. And again, yeah. you talk about the last caps. You're right on this. If this doesn't go through, there is a probably more likely than not chance that this team is out of the state of Arizona. I just, can't yeah. see, I just can't see them pushing or kicking the proverbial can down the road any further. I do think that this is yeah. where they move out of Arizona. If that's I, I just think if you get this approved from Tempe in whatever fashion, Coyotes fans got to be at Mullet Arena. And when that new building is built, you got to be putting 17, 18, 19,000 people in that building, you know, for sure 15 plus on most given nights, regardless of how good that team is. And you, you got to be, and for the ownership side, you got to, you got to bring them in. You got to, you, you got to yeah. also spend your money too. Remember 2010, was it 2010? They went to the West final 2012, 2012. Okay. So yeah. it, it means it's been, it's God, I can't, I can't 10 years. Well, yeah. um, it goes by quick, but in hockey stats, not that long ago that they were a very competitive, good team, right? Yeah. That's the other side is that if the if the fan base slash the community embraces you, then you have to give it back to. Right. And that's the part that's been missing. I mean, let's be honest. When was the last time we saw the Arizona Coyotes as an organization really, truly say from what they're spending and some of the moves they make, they would say they are trying to be a competitive team. It's been a while. Yeah. Certainly has been a while, but competition is in full swing here on the Huskies Warming House podcast, apparently, but also otherwise in the college hockey world. I had fun. It's been a while since we've really gone at each other, so I had fun. Yeah. Um, 
With that being said, Mensaki, a big battle for them, big test. They travel to Magnus Arena on Friday the 4th. Uh, Women's Hockey will be traveling to Bemidji State the 4th and 5th. And then on Monday the 7th, Hall of Fame game for them. Uh, um, pay attention to that. They'll be playing the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Minnesota Wild, only two contests for them coming up this week. Tuesday against Montreal, and I believe it's Thursday against Seattle. Um, and that is it for them for the week. And that is it for us. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon. Have a wonderful and safe holiday um, of Halloween on this Monday. Stay safe. Make sure you don't do anything dumb. Like argue with your friends on a podcast. We will see you soon in the den. One-timer coming. They score. She scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.